All right, everybody, if you have your Bibles, please go ahead and open them with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Last week, we completed chapter 9, and we saw Paul's heart for us there to become all things to all people, that by all means necessary, they might be saved. We as the church are to run the race of the Christian life with great ambition to receive the prize the prize of people, the prize of souls who are one to Christ through our lives and through our ministry by God's grace. May God do that more and more through our lives and ministry here at Redeemer Fellowship. In our text today, Paul continues to talk about how to love others well, but he, he takes a break from talking about how we should be loving others through the laying down of our rights and privileges, and he takes time now to warn us, it's a very sobering text, it's a difficult text, to warn us about the importance of running the race of our Christian lives with our eyes set on Jesus and on the faithfulness of God to keep and to protect us through many dangers, toils, and snares. Even as we have great liberty in Christ, we must be on guard as to the motivations of our hearts for why and how we enjoy those liberties. The danger is real, but God's faithfulness is even greater. Let's begin by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 13. Paul says this, he says, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Amen. May God bless the preaching of this sobering word this morning. As you may know, the movie Jumanji is a movie about a board game that is fraught with very real danger. Originally, Robin Williams, more recently Dwayne Johnson and Karen Gillan and Kevin Hart, they, they find a board game within the movie and it has a dark history. 
The board game is a magical game in, in that whatever space you land on on the board, things begin to happen in real life. Dangerous things. Vicious monkeys, charging rhinos, floodwaters filled with alligators, swarming bats, Vampelt the hunter who hunts down the different characters in the game. It's a dangerous, dangerous game to play. And the dangers do not end unless you finish the game. It's so intense, it's so dangerous that there's a warning on the game before you even start. And the warning reads like this. Do not begin unless you intend to finish. Do not begin unless you intend to to finish, the players would do well to take into account what it means to play the game before they jump into the game. Friends, today we read a very serious warning from Paul. Paul does not want us to be unaware of the real danger that it is to be a part of God's people. There are real dangers and there is a very real need to be on guard as the church. As much as we talk about and celebrate our, our security in Jesus, that, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, as much as we believe that, as much as we celebrate that as a comfort and as a source of strength to our souls, listen, we must acknowledge the very real dangers that God's word still says that our souls may be in. Though we are secure, Part of our security comes from being mindful of how God intends to preserve and protect us over time. God does indeed intend to keep us safe until the final day. And church, he will be faithful. But he will be faithful by warning us through his scriptures about the very real dangers that are all around us in this world and even in our own hearts. And friends, we have to be honest about these dangers. These dangers aren't just hypothetical in our Christian life. They are real. There's a mysterious tension in the pages of the New Testament about our security in Jesus and our need to be on guard. And this tension needs to be honestly considered by Christians today. It's so important because oftentimes, isn't it true, isn't it true that oftentimes the church can talk about the Christian life as if it's just like this nice vacation experience? Come, come to Jesus. Life will be perfect. There are no real dangers. There's no need to fight for your faith or to contend for your faith. Come to Jesus. Everything will be easy and calm. There's no need to be on guard. Just say you love Jesus and then cruise through life. But church family, God's word does not paint that picture of the Christian life. No, it actually paints the picture of the Christian life that is hard and is fraught with many dangers, toils, and snares. There are many things that will come against us as Christian men and women, as Christian college students, and as students in our code red ministry. And so we must, we must be on guard together. We, we will be stronger in our faith if we see these dangers and acknowledge how real they are and how God intends to preserve us through them. Like the warning in Jumanji, it would be good if we considered what the journey of the Christian life will involve and it would be good if as we consider the dangers, we also consider how God intends us to finish the game or the race set before us. The main idea for our message today is this. 
be warned lest you fall and look to God who is faithful. Be warned lest you fall and look to God who is faithful. And we have two points today. Point number one, danger is real. And point number two, God is faithful. Let's begin with the first. Point number one, danger is real. Have you ever wondered whether you can lose your salvation? Have you ever been concerned that at some point in your life you're going to fall away from your Christian faith and even turn your back on Jesus? Do you sometimes wonder whether your faith is truly sincere or whether it is just an external experience or show? Can we fall away or are we secure in Jesus? Those are very real questions that many of us wrestle with on a daily basis. Paul himself talks about being disqualified at the very end of chapter 9, immediately before our text today. And so is that a real danger, or is that just a hypothetical question? Well, in order to help us to have a right understanding of this, Paul begins by using the history of Israel from the Old Testament. And what we find here is that though the Israelite people are not exactly like us in every way, there are many things about them that we will never experience ourselves. still there are lessons that we must learn from them. In verse 11, Paul specifically says, Now these things happened to them. They happened to the Israelites as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Paul explicitly says that the story of the Israelites was was written down as an example and as instruction for us today. And so we should pay very close attention to what Paul is saying about them. And so what does Paul say? What is he saying here? Well, look at these first verses, verses 1 to 4. They begin by Paul primarily referencing the spiritual good that happened to Israel. Paul says, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. And what he means there is that they were led by God. In Exodus chapter 13, verse 21, before they passed through the Red Sea, it says that as the people of Israel were being led out of captivity in Egypt, that the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. The people of Israel were able to visibly identify with God as he went before them. And then Paul says, and all of them passed through the sea and he's speaking there of the great rescue of God's people through the crossing of the Red Sea on dry land away from Egypt in Exodus chapter 14. They were literally saved through the waters and then Paul summarizes both of these things. He says, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now what is he talking about? What what is Paul talking about in these things? Well, I think that we begin to understand what he is saying when we notice the word baptized there. There was was no reference to baptism in these Old Testament stories. And so we know that Paul is not talking about a a literal baptism. And so, so what he means by this is more allegorical. Baptism, even as we celebrate it here on Sunday mornings together, baptism is an identification marker. Baptism is one of the the preliminary acts of obedience in the Christian life because it is to publicly identify yourself with Jesus. 
When we're baptized into water, even here on Sunday mornings, it is unmistakable what we are doing. We are saying we are with Jesus and with his people. We are no longer with the world around us. And though it was not a formal baptism of sorts, as we see these things in what Paul is saying, Paul is saying that what happened to the Israelites as they left Egypt was similar to what baptism is today. There was no mistaking who they were with. They were identified with the living God and with his people. Specifically, it says that they were baptized into Moses. That, that just means that they were baptized into the leader of God's people at the time. They were identified with Moses and with the nation of Israel that he led. Even as we today are baptized into the far greater Moses, Jesus himself, the ultimate deliverer of God's people. But Paul is saying that the people of Israel visibly identified with Moses and through Moses with God and with God's gracious deliverance for them. They, they said through their lives and even through their words, yes, we are with Moses and thereby, yes, we are with God and his grace towards us. And then Paul references two other things. He says in verse 2, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. And what Paul means here is not just that the people of Israel identified with God through the initial act of deliverance out of Egypt. No, they also identified with God through the appearance of an ongoing relationship with God. Even as they entered into the wilderness, God gave them food from heaven. Do you remember the story about manna coming down from heaven for them to eat? They also drank from the water given by God. When they were thirsty, God miraculously brought water from a rock in the middle of the desert. And so listen, there's nothing in particular about this bread and this drink in the wilderness that Paul is highlighting here other than the fact that it speaks of the appearance of an ongoing relationship with God. And Paul even says with Jesus because he says that the spiritual rock provided water and it was a picture of Christ himself being with them. So not only were they baptized into Moses... They ate and drank with Moses. They identified with him and with God in an ongoing way. Church, what does that sound like? Doesn't that sound like communion? Doesn't that sound like the Lord's Supper? Doesn't that sound like how we eat spiritual bread and drink spiritual drink on a weekly basis? This is what Paul seems to be referencing here. We know that even more because it's in the next chapter, in chapter 11, that he's going to give instruction about the Lord's Supper itself. And so what is Paul doing? He's saying, he's saying not only were the Israelites baptized into Moses, they identified with him initially, just as we have been baptized into Christ, but they also ate and drank spiritual food with Moses, even as we eat and drink in remembrance of Jesus each and every week. He's saying the people of Israel clearly identified with Moses and through Moses with God and his deliverance. They clearly identified with God in a very similar way to how we relate to and identify with God through the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's very visible, at least. And Paul's saying, what a powerful thing it must have been 
to be a part of the Israelite people and to experience God in these powerful ways. What a, what a privilege and joy to be invited into a relationship with this God through such powerful signs and wonders. How strong must have their faith been? How confident they must have been in God even as they saw the activity of God in miraculous ways, right? How strong their faith must have been. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, look at verse 5. Paul says these haunting words to us. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Nevertheless, with most of them, these people who so clearly and boldly identified with Moses and with God in an external way, nevertheless, they fell away. They fell away. Look at verse 6. It says, that they fell away because they desired evil. Paul says, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Numbers chapter 11 verse 4 says of the Israelites that they had greedy desires in their hearts. And then Paul speaks of some of the dangers that the people of Israel fell into. They, they fell into idolatry, worshiping false gods. Verses 6 to 7 in our text is a reference to when the people of Israel created the golden calf and worshiped it. In Exodus chapter 32, verse 6, it says, And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's a direct quote from Paul here. Playing very likely meaning that they engaged in a sexual orgy or some other immorality. And then Paul continues in our text in verse 8. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. And then he says we must not put Christ to the test, even as the Israelites did in Numbers 21 when they said, God, why did you bring us up out of the land of Egypt? And then they were destroyed by serpents. Or grumble as they did, as in Numbers 14, verse 2, when God didn't provide for them, and it says God destroyed them. Nevertheless, Paul is saying that even though these Israelites had an outward expression and appearance of allegiance to Christ, even though they seemed to celebrate the power of God's redemption in their lives, even as they seemed to identify with him through the partaking of food and drink with his people, even though they appeared to be his people, the very real dangers, the temptations, the allure of idolatry, the desire to indulge in sexual immorality and other sins, even just the faithless acts act of grumbling and complaining about their circumstances, these desires were too strong and they fell into sin and God judged them. They did not enter the promised land. Church, the, the danger is real. And verse 11 states explicitly that these things were written down for our instruction. Clearly, Paul wants us to consider the real danger of, of falling short and not finishing the game or the race set before us. Evil desires in our hearts, that they're real. The danger of deceiving ourselves into living hypocritical and shallow Christian lives where we outwardly identify with God but inwardly are very far from Him, that danger is real. And Paul wants to warn us about it today. Redeemer Fellowship, we must be warned by the example of the Israelites. 
This should truly humble us. Even as it must have been so glorious to witness the hand of God through the plagues in Egypt and through the exodus through the Red Sea, as amazing as all of that must have been, we must see that there is the possibility of only identifying with God in an outward way. It is possible to be part of the visible church and to enjoy the feel and the excitement of a Sunday morning, to even identify with them on a weekly basis, but to have your heart be far from true true discipleship and faith in Jesus. I'm so affected by even the fact that it says that they just grumbled and were destroyed. Why? Is God just so uptight that he can't handle grumbling children? No, their grumbling reveals their idolatry before God. When we grumble, even about small things, we are revealing that we might not trust God as fully as we claim. We might not be as loyal to him as we sing about on Sunday mornings. Our grumbling about circumstances, our grumbling about trials, our grumbling about difficult situations and hard relationships, our grumblings can at times reveal that we are not devoted to God himself, but we are devoted to what we think God should give to us, and that church is idolatry. And that reveals that we are not truly God's people. That disqualifies us from an eternal relationship with him because we don't have a relationship with him at all. We're worshiping what he gives rather than who he is as the giver. These dangers are real. There are many in the visible church today who claim to love Jesus, but who are only like the Israelites, wanting things from God rather than wanting God himself. And we must be warned because they are not truly saved. Be warned. Be warned. But even as we are warned, let us not fall into condemnation and to endless fear. That, that is not the point of this text from Paul. We're not to live in constant fear and condemnation about the weakness of our faith. No, even as we are warned today, church family, let us look to God who is faithful. And that brings us to our second point. Point number two, God is faithful. Again, verse 11 says that these things were written down for our instruction. So we as a church family should ask the question, what instruction does God want to give to us as a local church family? If the danger is real, then what can we learn here about how we are to guard against these dangers together? Well, first, it's a little bit more bad news, but first, we need to consider how we are very much like the Israelites. As much as we celebrate the security that we have in Jesus and in the gospel, Paul wants to remind us about the dangerous similarities that still exist between our own hearts and the Israelites in the Old Testament. Look look at verse 12 now. Verse 12, he says, therefore, in other words, because of the sad example of the Israelites, which I just shared with you, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands, who thinks that he is secure, take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So the first lesson that we are to learn is that apart from God's grace, you and I are the same as the Israelites. There is commonality between us. And that commonality has to do with the temptation of our hearts towards idolatry. Even though we haven't created a golden calf this past week, I don't think, anybody? Anybody? 
pretty sure not. Even though I hope none of us have participated in a sexual orgy like the Israelites did over the past week, even though we haven't even been tempted to eat food offered to an idols like the Corinthians were, Paul still wants us to know that we have the same idolatrous tendencies and temptations in our own hearts. See, see in the context of this verse, it's very clear that Paul is not focusing on a specific sin or type of sin. No, the temptation that is common to man is the common tendency of our hearts to be idolatrous in many, many different areas of life and to allow our cravings and desires for anything to be stronger in our lives than our desire and love and devotion to God himself. According to verse 6, all of the evil that Israel fell into, it began with desires from their hearts. And so friends, this warning, it fits very well into the context of what we've been studying in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter, chapters 8 to 10. The, these chapters have been all about our, our Christian liberties and our freedom in Christ and whether to eat food offered to an idol or not. And so even though Paul has said very clearly that food offered to an idol is really not that big of a deal at all, Paul is still warning us not to be too confident in ourselves. But Paul is trying to warn us that, that idolatry doesn't begin when we just put a piece of meat into our mouth to eat. Church, idolatry doesn't begin when we take that first step into the temple. Idolatry doesn't begin when we sacrifice on a false altar. No, idolatry begins when our hearts want something, when our hearts want anything more than God himself. In the context, Paul is saying, eating that food is not a big deal. It's not, but church, take care that you don't take your freedom in Christ and use it for the evil desires of your heart, which we can all be tempted to do. Sure, eating food offered to an idol is not a big deal. It's just meat. But take care, Paul is saying, that you don't choose to eat that meat because you crave the approval of the world around you and desire to fit in. Take care that you don't eat that food or pursue that friendship or enjoy that experience because you really just want to be satisfied by the idolatrous desires of your heart and you veil them under some thin cloak of evangelism or mission. Take care that your desires for things, even innocent things, don't lead you to want those things more than you want Jesus himself. Take heed. We must be on guard against assuming that our outward appearance of Christianity is enough while our inward desires remain unchanged and very far from Christ. Outward appearance, like the Israelites, is not enough. It didn't reveal a true, it revealed that it wasn't a true relationship with Christ. Someone can appear to be a Christian in the visible church without having true faith in God. Someone can appear to be a Christian by being baptized and even partaking in the Lord's Supper while their hearts are far from Him. But true faith, true saving faith is marked by increased affections for God Himself and by a relationship with Him. And so, what do we do with all of this? It seems scary, doesn't it? It seems scary because I know my own heart, friends. It's scary because I know that I have idolatrous desires in my heart every day. 
So should I live in fear that I'm going to fall away from God like the Israelites did? Can a Christian person truly have confidence that they are secure in Christ? Or do we need to live fearful of stumbling every day that we live? It seems like we should fear because it seems like that is what Paul is saying here. But the answer to that and the next step of instruction from Paul is not to consider ourselves, but to consider God himself. Verse 13. Verse 13, Paul, Paul immediately trans- transitions from this hard warning towards encouragement. God is faithful. He says, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That means bear up under it for a long time. The answer to the danger, the answer to the potential of falling away is to focus on God himself. But but how can Paul even say that? It seems like the Israelites focused on God. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They they seemed to focus on God, and God allowed the Israelites to be tempted beyond what they were able. They were overthrown. So how do we know that we as Christians today won't be overthrown as well? But church, here is the glorious reality of the gospel and of God's faithfulness. God knew that your heart was idolatrous. He knew that that century after century the people of Israel would worship false gods. He knew that on their own, apart from his saving, regenerating work through the gospel, they would not be saved. They would worship false god after false god. Indeed, according to Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, following the prince of the power of the air, idolaters, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were worshipers of false gods and we were dead in our idolatry. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were dead in our false worship and idolatry before false gods, he has made us alive together with Christ. Church, by grace you have been saved. Church, this This is how God has been faithful. This is what Paul is speaking of. He has seen you in your sinful idolatry, in your rebellion, in your wickedness. He has seen you in the wilderness of your many sinful mistakes. He has seen you in your broken relationships. He has seen you hungry and thirsty. He has seen you in all of your hurt and harm that you have done. And though he could have left you in that wilderness of your own making, he did not. He has been faithful. He was faithful to preserve a remnant of Israel until the time that he came, and he has been faithful to build his church every day since, to save us from our own idolatry. And how has he done that? By giving us a new heart with new affections. Because we were like the Israelites who would have only ever loved him outwardly in order to get something that we wanted. 
But God, through the gospel and through the power of his spirit, has breathed on us and he has now regenerated us and he has taken out that heart of stone and he has put in a new heart of flesh, a new heart with new desires, with new capacity, not just to know him outwardly, but to know him inwardly, to love him, not just outwardly, but in a real relationship And to love him not just for what he can give to us, but for who he is in himself. This is the gospel. We who were idolaters through and through have been made worshipers by his grace through and through. And because this is the work of God, because this is not just us like the Israelites trying to act a certain way, because God has done this work through his grace, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can defeat the work that he has begun and will complete. No temptation will overtake you. Why? Because his spirit within you will now preserve you. Is the danger real? Yes, it it is because there are always people who are only outwardly associating with God. But if you love God truly, even just a little bit this morning, maybe you struggle with doubts. Maybe you see your affections for Christ diminishing. Maybe you wonder whether you're turning away from Christ. Listen, if your heart found even an ounce of joy in singing even one line of the songs this morning, if that is you, that is proof that God has worked upon you and that he will not leave you nor forsake you. This is the work of God. The work that he has begun, he will complete. Even as we talk about that game of Jumanji, do not begin if you do not want to finish. So God has not begun this work in you, Christian, only to leave you in your own strength. No, in your salvation, he has given you everything that you need, namely his faithfulness, but also every means of grace along the way to guide you until that final day. And we can see that in this text. We've seen this throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. The gospel propels us forward. It propels us forward by faith in God, and it propels us forward by a realistic perspective of the world around us. The very next verse, verse 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. It's a warning. Saying, you're in Christ. Prove that you are in Christ by running away from the idolatry of your heart and worship him for who he is, not just what he can give to you. We see it in the next verse as he says, I speak as to sensible people, plural. It's not individuals, it's together. God is going to sustain us to the final day, not just through his own faithfulness to us through the gospel, but through the means of grace to flee sin and through the means of grace to build side by side with brothers and sisters in Christ. Hebrews chapter three, exhort one another every day so that you may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Will a Christian's heart truly be hardened to the point of falling away? No, but it will not if we persist in God's promise to exhort one another every day until the day that he returns. And then finally, he promises to go before us and to be faithful to us by reminding us of the gospel again and again and again, which is the source of strength to flee, which is the source of our encouragement and our, and our fellowship together and our exhorting of one another. Hebrews chapter three says, exhort one another every day so that you may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ. Paul has been faithful throughout this entire letter to ground everything that he has said in the gospel. 
his confidence is not in worldly wisdom. His confidence is not in our display on Sunday mornings. His confidence is not in how we uh, are able to, to build our own church for our own glory. His confidence through and through is in that Christ has begun a good work and he will bring it to completion. My friends, the danger is real, but God's faithfulness is greater. And he has proven that through his son, Jesus Christ, and through his Holy Spirit that now lives within us and through every means of grace available to us. And so let us run the race set before us and let us do it with joy in our Savior. Let us read his word. Let us fellowship together. Let us confess our sins. Let's sing songs. Let's partake of the sacraments in honesty and truthfulness. And let us continue on by God's great faithfulness until that final day when we will see him face to face. Let's pray.